everybody's ready but me. We've got so much material to cover tonight, there's no way we're going to get through it. But I, I do want to bring this series to an end, and, and I know that I won't be able to cover it as thoroughly as I have in the past with some of the other lessons, but I wanted you to have the material, so I've been working feverishly to put it in your hands. So that at least you can get the ideas and you can dig a little deeper on your own. I think it's important that you do. And uh, that you take the time to mull it over and don't just listen and, and let it go in, in this ear and out the other and, and, and look at me like you're paying attention whether you are or not. Uh, I want you to really get this stuff. It's very, very important. We live in a world that is terrified right now. Uh, they're scared to death of disease. They're scared to death of mass shootings, they're scared to death of what might be happening in the Middle East, they're scared to death about all sorts of things. And then we all have our own fears. What am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to go to school? What, what am I going to do with my kids? How am I going to deal with this? How am I going to deal with that? And work and all the other things that we're dealing with. And it is so important that we learn to just take all of these burdens and cast them upon the Lord and find the peace that we need right there. And so this lesson is huge. There's, there's, there's so much stuff in here, there's no way we're going to get through it all. But I do want to kind of highlight it and, cut, and hit a few things that I think will be of help to you. We did start this a couple of weeks ago, and then we got interrupted with the, with the group from IBC, and we're glad that they were here last week. But uh, I'm going to my grandson's birthday next week, so you're going to have a special speaker next week. And I'm not going to identify him just, just, just in case there's a, a glitch at the last bit. But it will be very special. You'll enjoy that. Alex, it's not you unless, I, unless something happens, okay? Uh, Alex is always worried about, I told these guys be ready to preach, pray, or die at any given moment. And this past Sunday when Pastor was uh, out of, a little bit out of it and Pastor Kelly was sick and I was preaching someplace else, those guys did preach, pray, and died all at the same time. But they made it. And so that was good. All right, okay, well, let's go to page three in your notes. Uh, the main thing I want you to see is found, uh, the, the, whole, the whole theme of this series is built around a verse in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, the conclusion when it has all been heard is, fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person, for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evils. So the bottom line is, if you want to make it through life, you want to make it through the struggles, is you've just got to fear God and trust Him. you just got to. You have to. You can't figure it out on your own. There's no other way out of it. God created it the way He wants it to be. He's, he's in charge of it all, so we've got to do it His way. But let's look at these 12 rem- remedies for sinful fear. Remember, sinful fear is the kind of fear that runs away from God rather than to God. When you run into a difficult time, instead of Instead of going to God and taking it to Him, which is the fear of God, you say, I'm going to handle this myself, or I'm going to go find what Dr. Spock had to say, or what somebody else had to say, and I'm going to find my remedy from Dr. Phil on TV, or something else, whatever, instead of going to God. And we need to learn to go to God when the struggles come our way. All right, so rule number one. I'm just going to hit these very quickly and then make some comments. All right, rule number one, study God's covenant of grace. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Remember, a covenant is stronger than a contract. And remember, this is a promise that God himself has made. And God does not lie. 
And he keeps his promises and he will never, ever, 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 ever back away from it. So never forget what the God who cannot lie has promised to you. So we'll go, we'll, we've already covered that and you can look back in notes in the past, but there will be some notes in this material today. Rule number two, consider the misery of sinful fear. We kind of touched on that a little bit last week, spent some, or a couple weeks ago, spent some time on that. There is a misery of being a Christian outside of God's will. There have been times when I have been in the will of God, and there is a peace about that, and even though sometimes it's not easy, sometimes there's a struggle, sometimes it may be a financial struggle or a, or a, a difficulty I'm dealing with with a person but I'm in the will of God doing what God wants me to do, and there's a peace about that. But there have been times in my life when I've been out of the will of God because of a sinful choice that I've made or a circumstance that kind of put me into a limbo situation for a little while, and I wasn't sure. I was in the will of God, but I wasn't sure I was in the will of God. And so there was some unsettledness about that, and there was just not peace there, and there was a a, 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 a concern in my heart and a turmoil that I felt inside. But once we know we're in the center of God's will, there's great peace. Then there's the ultimate fear, and that is the ultimate misery, and that is those who say, I'm going to reject God and I'm not going to accept God, and they end up in a place called hell. Those are, called, those are sinners who have rejected the Lord. So there's a misery for the Christian, there's a misery for the non-Christian. The most miserable place to live is anywhere outside of the will of God. Young people, you need to get that. You need to get that, especially as you're making your plans. Find God's will and do it. That's the only way you're going to be successful and happy, really, in life. No matter how much money you make, no matter how fancy you, your life is, no matter how beautiful your spouse or your children are, if you're not in the will of God, you're not going to be happy. You need to find it. And, uh, and let God take away all the fear of what could happen in, all of the, in those situations. Rule number three, prepare for future suffering. We barely touched on that in a couple weeks. And that's the idea of God has said life in this world would be hard, so plan for it. Good illustration of that. We looked at it even in the past as we've gone through the series is that of, of Noah. God said there's coming a flood. There's going to be trouble. And Noah said, okay, I will prepare. I trust God. I believe God. I fear God. God said prepare, build an ark. Everybody's going to make fun of me. Everybody's going to think I'm crazy. This, uh, nobody's ever done this before. We've never even seen rain before. I'm in the middle of the desert, and you want me to build a boat? If you've ever visit, visited the ark in, in Kentucky, and you've seen that ark that, they, that Ken Ham and those guys have built out there, you realize how big that boat is and how ridiculous that thing must have looked in the middle of the desert. But once the rain started falling, everybody kind of thought it was a good idea, didn't they? Noah decided to fear God, and because of that, he could have peace when everybody else who didn't fear God and disobeyed God were really going through the struggle, right? All right, third, rule number four, and I'm just going to hit on it, and then we'll come to it a little bit more, but I, just, I do want to make sure I cover all 12, verse, uh, 12 rules before we get into it tonight, okay? Because I know we're going to run out of time. But rule number four, commit yourself to God. Place your life in the hands of God he loves you more than you even love yourselves. You know, you think, I know, what I, want. I know what's best for my life. I know what I want to do with my life. I've got my plans. <laughs> Someone once told me, he said, you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Because he has a way of having his will accomplished. It's a whole lot better to just cooperate with it rather than go through it. 
So commit yourself to God. Say, I will do whatever it is. I think pastor said the other day, he said, how do you find God's will for your life? Just say, I will do it, whatever it is. You don't have to wait until you find out what it is before you say, I'm going to do it. You just say, okay, God, whatever you want, I will do. Rule number five, mortify your affections to the world. Kill off your little dreams and embrace God's better plan for your life. I don't care how big and grandiose your scheme is. I don't care how, many, how much money you plan on making. I don't care how big a building you plan on building. I don't care how big of an empire you plan on building. It's nothing compared to what God wants to do with your life. God wants to do so much more with you if you will trust him. So, com- so commit yourself to God and mortify. Kill it off. Just say, okay, whatever, whatever, Lord, you want. I, I, I'll surrender it all to you. Rule number six, imitate God's faithful servants. Study the biographies of those who have served the Lord and watch what God did in their lives. I just finished a 400-page biography by uh, autobiography of Dr. Ed Nelson, who was here a couple of years ago. You remember that old guy that came in, and I, I looked at him, and I said, that guy's going to die before I get into the car at the airport. That's what I really thought. I said, that guy, I don't know how old he was, 90-some years old. And then he stood up and he put his fist down like that. You remember that? And he stood straight up like that. And whoa, did he let it fly. He really preached a good, solid message. And that's because all of his life, he had committed his life to the Lord. And when you read the biography, you'll know it wasn't all easy. Oh, my. He went through some struggles. He went through some hard times. But he kept his eyes on the Lord. But you can go throughout all the scriptures and see all these people in the Old Testament, the prophets, you can see Moses, you can see Joshua, you can see Abraham, you can see all these people, Ruth, and all the struggles that they went through. And you can see how God helped them through. And remember, the same God who helped them through is the God that you're living under. And he's going to help you through too. So it's encouraging to read these things and to see these things. That's why you read your Bible. That's why you ought to read biographies. I'm reading the biography of Homer Rodehaver right now. Homer Rodehaver was one of the great song leaders of the past. And uh, I, it's very interesting to me. But God has, God has some things that he teaches us through the lives of others. Rule number seven, confirm your interest in Christ. Confirm it. Make sure that it's, that it's known. You should let everybody know, I am committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people do that by walking down an aisle and kneeling in front or asking for special prayer. Sometimes you just get up and give a testimony and say, I've given my life to the Lord. I am committed to doing whatever God wants me to do. And when you do that, other people step in beside you who also have made that commitment. And they rally behind you and they encourage you. And that helps an awful lot. But people need to know, I'm committed to the Lord, and I'm, I'm not turning back. My wife and I like to sing the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Right? Though none go with me, still I will follow. Right? No turning back, no turning back. Well, that's what you need to do. Prayerfully and publicly commit your life to God. If you have not ever done that by being baptized, or joining a church, getting involved in ministry... It's time for you to do that, Cole. All right, number eight, rule number eight, keep your conscience pure. Keep your conscience pure. 
recognize, accept responsibility, and confess all sin as soon as you discover it. You know, sometimes we do things and don't realize we've hurt somebody or disobeyed the Lord. We just reacted. And, it, and our nature, naturally, we do something that's wrong. But the minute it's brought to our attention, I've, I've said things to people and have somebody come back to me, did you, did you know what you said to that person? I go, no. Did you know you hurt them? Uh, I didn't have a clue. It wasn't intentional, but apparently I did. And then I had to go back and make that thing right. Sometimes we naturally do things that are wrong. But as soon as somebody points it out to you, or the Holy Spirit inside of you says, Hey, what were you thinking? What did you do? You need to say, Okay, Lord, and forget it. And forsake it and, and forget it and walk away from it and go on. So, keep your conscience pure. And we'll get into that a little bit more. There's more in the notes there that you can look at. Rule number nine, record your experiences of God's faithfulness. I like the illustration that he gives in the book. Um, He talks about Moses being up on top of the mountain. And Joshua's down fighting the battle against the Amalekites. And uh, Moses' hands are up and he's holding his rod up. And as long as he's holding it up, they're winning the battle. But Moses is old and he starts to kind of falter a little bit and teeters a little bit. And Aaron and her grab his hands and put them back up like that. And whenever his, his arms were up, they were winning the battle. When his arms went down, they started losing the battle. And they won the battle and Aaron and her were helpful. And at the end, Moses says, okay, write that down in a book. Put that down so Joshua remembers that. When you obey God and do God's will and follow God's will, you will have victory. And the, the idea here is keep a written journal of God's provision and deliverances through your life. Hey, you need to do this especially if you're naturally a fearful person. I, I, I am not naturally a very fearful person. My wife said, you, you need to teach this anyway because somebody needs to hear it. I'm going, why do we need to hear this? I don't believe, I'm not afraid of anything. Well, I I am falling off buildings. But um, but the idea here is, I guess the reason that I am not fearful is because I remember all the things God has done for me. And I figure if he's brought me through that, he'll get me through this. If he brought me through that, he'll get me through this. And so if you're a naturally fearful person, you ought to keep a journal of every time God got you through a struggle. So that the next time a struggle comes, and, and, and pick it up and read it once in a while so you can remember. Before you know it, you'll, you'll have to get another journal, and another journal, and another journal. And you won't be able to contain it all. And then you'll realize, I don't have to write this down anymore. I, 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 can't, I, I know God's going to take care of me. So, yeah, I remember in high school there was a, a youth program, and they, they talked about book of, a book of remembrance. And that's out of the book of Malachi, I think. Where, where we were encouraged to write down a verse that God spoke to us about or, or keep notes from a sermon that we heard that was a blessing or, or write down an incident where God helped me witness to someone and somebody who accepted Christ or somebody who made a, that, that I was able to minister to. And so that I could look back and say, look what God has done in my life. So that's a biblical principle that we find in, even in the book of uh, Exodus, I think it is. Rule number 10, consider Christ's providential kingdom. Meditate on the promises Christ has made to care for his own. Remember, he is King Jesus. He is King Jesus. 
He is absolutely in charge. And he is going to take care of whatever is happening. The President of the United States doesn't do anything unless King Jesus says he can do it. Fauci can't say anything unless God says he can say it. The news media, he can cause a blackout on them. I hope so. But see, he's in charge of all of this. And as long as we remember that Jesus Christ is king, we don't have to worry about what other people are doing. We just follow him. Meditate on those promises that he's made to care for his own. And we get into that in the lesson. Rule number 11, subject your carnal reasoning to faith. Stop trying to think and figure it out for yourself. Try, stop trying to scheme your way out of this. We have a world right now that is trying to scheme their way out of a virus that they can't control. And then, then some have turned it into a political machine where we're trying to maintain control by continuing to scare people so, that it can, so we can still keep them under control. And all these other things. And they're scheming and they're scheming and they're scheming. But I can tell you God's going to win. God's going to win. Stop overthinking things and determine to trust God unreservedly with your life. You cannot come up with a better plan than the one God has for you. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how much education you have. I don't care what you've done. You cannot outsmart God's plan for your life. Rule number 12, and we'll hit that quickly, exalt the fear of God in your heart. That, and that's, if, if, you, if you don't get any other rule, get rule number 12. Exalt the fear of God in your heart. Choose to run to God rather than from God during times of difficulty and fear. Now, the bottom of that page, page 3, has a very important statement. Very, very important None of those rules apply to you if you do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Because the biggest thing you need to do is make sure you're right with Him because he's, he, he has, His judgment is placed upon you. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God has, has, does not have life. The wrath of God abides on Him. Right? So until you make things right with God, you have every reason in the world to fear. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And who is that? That's Christ the King. He's the one before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And so it's important that you do that now. Revelation 20 talks about the great white throne. John chapter 3 talks about the fact that though the wrath of God abides on him, he has given us, or abides on us, he has given us the opportunity to trust the Lord Jesus. He sent his own son to die for us so that we wouldn't have to face that wrath. All right, so let's go on to page 4, and uh, we're looking real quickly. Study God's covenant of grace. Remember that again. We talked about that. Hebrews chapter, page 5, just hit the note here. Uh, when God made the promise to Abraham, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And so, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, with them an oath is given as a confirmation is an end of every dispute. 
In the same way, God desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor for the soul, anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. He had nothing to do with this. He didn't have to make a promise to God. He just simply believed God and went along with it. And when God said, go here, go there, do this, do that, he did it. And every time he stepped out of God's will, he caused problems for himself. But when he walked in the center of God's will, God blessed him. And then we know what ended up happening. He became the father of many nations. And he trusted God. He looked at the promise that God had made and he believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. And he had this anchor in his soul that God was going to take care of him. Do you have that kind of an anchor? That takes away fear when you know you have something to hang on to that is bigger than you and stronger than any trouble that comes your way. And that anchor is the Lord. In our modern world, you see on page 5, you got a picture of a, of a notary. In our modern world, we can break promises. But God does not break his promises. He never breaks them. He cannot lie. He will not renege on a contract. And when he says he will care for you, he says he will, and he will do that. He will keep that promise. John chapter 10, verse 27, bottom of page 5. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me and I've given them eternal life to them. I've given eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So with a promise like that, no enemy, no disaster, no surprise, no tragedy can take you out of the hand of the Lord. You can't jump out of it. Once you're saved, you are constantly saved. And God's going to keep that promise to you. And you have eternal life. And you will never perish. So you don't have to fear about that. You don't have to fear about that. Rule number two, page six. Consider the misery of sinful fear. I've already hit that. The happiest Christians are those who have found God's will for their life and are doing it. Uh, what is that? Ephesians chapter four, verse seven. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about every one of us has been given some kind of spiritual gift. Now, some are called to pastor, some are called to preach, some are called to serve in a church, some are called to sing, some are called to a lot of different things. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about gifts, there's other places in scripture that talk about spiritual gifts. You don't have to be full-time Christian service to use your gift to the Lord. The church needs you God's work needs you. If you're a believer, you need to find your gift, and then you need to jump in with it. Find God's will and do it. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do it as one who's speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do it as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified. Through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Again, I think especially of our young people. You're seeking God's will. What does he want you to do? That's what you need to be seeking. He'll show it to you. God, does, God wants you to know it even more than you want to know. 
So just keep looking, keep looking, keep serving where you are and let him open other doors for you. The middle of page six reminds us of the, the future misery for non-believers. And you see that very graphic picture there, heaven and hell. You've got a choice to make. Am I going to accept Christ or not? That will determine your eternal destiny, whether you're going to be living in eternal misery or you're going to be living in eternal joy in the presence of the Lord. It's very important. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33. Everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. I heard about a man just yesterday um, that has said, I don't want to hear anything about the gospel. He's rejecting the Lord right now. Thank the Lord he's still alive. Thank the Lord he has believers around him. Thank the Lord he has people who are living out the gospel before him. And, and even just uh, yesterday, he, uh, he saw that worked out very evidently. Just be praying that that man will come to know the Lord as his Savior. He, he has opportunities still, but he needs to make a decision. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, bottom of page 6, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Verse seven, or page 7, Romans chapter 21, verse 8, for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's what happens to those who reject the Lord and fail to run to him in the fear of God, trusting him for salvation. I like what John Flavel says there on top of page 7. Why, out of fear for a trifle, for the little things in this life, would you prolong a life that ends in the second death? It is nothing compared to what you will suffer from God forever. You say, well, I don't want to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior because if I do that, I have to give up my sin. How foolish, how dangerous, how wicked that decision is. Jim Elliott, the missionary to the Aka Indians, gave his life as a, as a martyr for the cause of Christ. But before he did, he said he is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain, that which he cannot lose. He gave his life for the cause of Christ so people could come to know him as Savior. And he could have done a lot of things with his life, but he chose to put the Lord first and to fear God and live dead center in the will of God until God took him home. And even through his death to this day, he still is an inspiration to people to go out and serve the Lord. He still is an inspiration for people to come to Christ. So God is using him in spite of the fact that he's no longer here on this earth. Rule number three, prepare for future suffering. We talked about that before. John Flavel knew something about that. Uh, early in the study, we studied about how he had started off as a preacher in a certain town, and while he was, when he was there, the, the government came in and made it illegal for him because he was not of a certain denomination to preach the gospel. And so they made him stop preaching at his church, and he said, well, I'm still going to serve the Lord. And he went out to another town, and he went out to the woods, and he went into people's living rooms, and he still preached the gospel, and God still used him. And for 15 years, he ran the risk of being jailed for his faith and for his ministry. And uh, he said, that's fine. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And then four years before he died, the, the ban was lifted and he was able to go back to his church. And he preached for the last four years of his life with all that experience of God using him in spite of the fact that the government said they couldn't. he couldn't. Flavel expected suffering. Look at the bottom of page 7 there. 
He said, this is what he wrote while he was going through that time of persecution. He said, I'm at ease in my home, but the time may come when my home will be a prison cell. At present, I see friends' faces full of smiles and honors. Soon I may only see enemies' faces full of frowns and terrors. At present, I have an estate to supply my wants and provide for my family. But this may shortly become spoil for my enemies. They might take it away from me. They may sweep away everything and reap the fruit of my labor. At present, I have my life. Oh, how soon it might fall into cruel and bloody, bloodthirsty hands. I have no better security for these things than the martyrs had. They suffered the loss of all things for Christ's sake. Such meditations as these result in a double advantage. In other words, I've seen other people get through this and how God used them and how God blessed their ministries. And he said, because I know that happened in the past, I know he can do that with me. Page 8, Flavel understood that as he embraced the difficulties of, of, of life, that God was breaking him and molding him and shaping him into the man that he wanted him to be, that God wanted him to be. And the, the difficulties you and I go through, and we've all been through them, uh, they're, they're not, don't, don't waste the problems. Learn from them. Let God mold your life through them. Come out better on the other side. If you, if you trust the Lord and you fear God, you will come out better. I've been around horses. I've seen horses being broken. And I've seen how if you, if you don't know what you're doing and you take a, take a saddle and you put it on an unbroken horse, they, they buck and carry on and they have a fit. They, they don't like, to, like it when you try to stick that bridle into their mouths. And, oh, they don't like that bit at all. But if you do it gently and kindly and over a number, a, a period of time, you can eventually get that horse where nothing shakes him, nothing fe- causes him to fear. And uh, I know of horses that have gone into battles, and I know of horses that have gone into all sorts of things because they were well-trained, because they submitted. And you and I need to submit to the circumstances God brings into our lives, knowing that he is preparing us for something great. He is preparing us for something that he wants to accomplish in our lives. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, middle of page 8. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Ephesians, bottom of page 6, talks about preparing for this. Again, it's more about the preparing for battle. What do you do? You put on the whole armor of God. I like that picture of that soldier putting on the armor. He's getting ready for battle. And because he has the armor, he's not afraid when he goes into the battle. He has prepared himself mentally, spiritually, and physically with the proper armor, and he's ready to go to war. You and I need to be there. Rule number 4, page 9. We'll see how far we get here. Commit yourself to God. Commit yourself to God. We talked about this before. How committed are you? Proverbs 16, 3. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Let's just hit those four points really quickly. I'm not even going to look at the verses. You can look them up on your own. How does one recognize a committed Christian? First, a committed Christian immediately obeys the Lord when he or she knows God's will. There's no question. God said, do it. I'm out there. God said, go witness. Okay. God said, read your Bible. Yes, sir. God said, pray. Mm-hmm. Go to church? Yep. Live for the Lord? Yep. 
Number two, a committed Christian believes that everything that happens to him or her has a divine purpose. Why did God bring this in my life? Not woe is me, it's what is God teaching me? All right? Number three, a committed Christian surrenders his or her will to God's perfect will. Not my will, but thine be done. Four, number four, a committed Christian looks to God rather than to human strength for deliverance and trouble. And again, I'm hitting this over again. Don't look elsewhere. Go to the Word of God. Find answers. If you don't know what to do, stay there. Go to wise counsel, who people who will point you to thinking like God, thinking like Christ. How does a person get to this point? Bottom of page 9. Trust God, completely committing everything in your life to His hands, knowing, A, God's power is almighty. Number two, God's wisdom is infinite. He knows better than you. Number three, God's love, page 10, is transcendent. God loves you more and he sees more about your life than you'll ever figure out. Number two, consider you are as a, who you are as a Christian. One, you are God's children. You are God's child. You are his family. Mr. Kellenberger came all the way over here to check on his son. He came a long way from Milwaukee. He got on an airplane and came over here. Why? Because he loves his son. All right? And I know Cole was happy about that. You are God's child. God loves you. He wants what's best for you. I remember talking to his mom and dad about him, Cole coming out, and they were so shocked about him coming to San Francisco. They wanted God, what God's best for him, and I'm thankful that they let him come. But it was scary for him, right? Consider who you are as a Christian. You're God's children. You're his family. Number two, you have already committed your eternal soul to him. Hey, you gave your soul to him as a Christian. He's going to take care of you for all of eternity. Why should you worry about what he's going to do with your life now? Right? I like that, that song. Uh, it's, it's in our hymn book, but it also comes out of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I know whom I have believed it, and I am committed or I'm convinced that he is able to guard which I have entrusted to him until that day. You know that song, right? That comes right out of Scripture. Hey, if you can trust the Lord with your eternal soul, can't you trust him with your life today? Sure you can. You can trust him with your finances. You can trust him with your health. You can trust him with your family. You can trust him with your job. You can trust him with your schooling. You can trust him with every part of your life. He's going to take care of the most important thing, and that's your eternal soul. He'll sure take care of those other things that are comparatively small. Letter C, you've already found him to be faithful to take care of you. He's already done some things for you, hasn't he? You know that. Just remember that. Go back to your book of remembrance. We talked about that before. And, and be reminded of what he's done. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3, verses 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from all evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. So if you're living in fear, you're not living in trust. And you've got to get back to trusting the Lord. Rule number five, mortify your affections to the world. Kill off your little dreams and embrace God's better plan for your life. I like what Flavel said. He says this, the more you are mortified, the less you will be terrified. All right? Hey, if you're dead, people aren't afraid of anything. You can you you can take a, a knife and go into a, they'll go to a corpse and that, yeah, he's not going to run, right? They're not scared of anything. They're already dead. Hey, listen, you've given your life to the Lord. Just trust Him. 
Let him take care of you. He's going to do much more for your life than you can ever do for yourself. I love these verses in Colossians chapter 3. These were verses that were transforming to me when I was in college and debating about what I was going to do in my life. If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Stop living for your flesh. To immorality, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Stop worshiping your flesh. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. So... All of those passions should be something that's in your past. And you should have surrendered those all to the Lord and say, whatever you want done, I will do. Stop living for the temporary things. Stop living for temporary freedom. Flavel says that prison doors might lock you in, but they cannot lock the comforter out. In Acts chapter 16, you remember Paul and Silas ended up in prison for their faith. And what were they doing? The Holy Spirit went in there with them. And what was the result? Singing. Someone was saved. God was glorified. So, when you go through the struggles, just remember, even if they lock me up, they can't keep me from having the joy of the Lord in my heart. Stop living for this temporary life. Bottom of page 11. For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. I like page 12. Look at that. To die is gain. These are out of Flavel's book. You ought to get the book and read it. This is powerful stuff. The believer's living time is his laboring time. His dying time is his harvest time. All the things that you did... You know, don't store up treasures here on this earth. Send them on ahead by serving the Lord, trusting the Lord, knowing the Lord. The believer's living time is his laboring time. The believer's living time is his fighting time. This is the time to fight for truth. This is the time to fight for what's right. But his dying time is his conquering and triumphing time. Oh, death, where is... Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. You're going to win. You're going to heaven, believer. So stop worrying about what happens to you down here. The believer's living time is his tiresome time. (laughs) I know what that is. You know what that is. You serve the Lord, you're going to get tired. You're going to get really tired. You're going to work and work and work and work. You're going to get tired. The interns are surprised how much they had to work this summer. But I think they're going to find out that it's a blessed time. When we get to heaven, that's our time for rest and sleeping. Until then, we've got to keep working. We'll work till Jesus comes, right? We'll work till Jesus comes. The believer's living time is his waiting and longing time. That should be letter D, not letter A there. 
It's his waiting and longing time. But his dying time is his time of enjoying that for which he has wished and waited for. The Bible talks about how we groan in this body waiting for the redemption. The whole creation groans. But remember, as a Christian, you close your eyes in death here and you open your eyes in eternal life in heaven. It's worth it. You talk about a return on your investment. That's a wonderful way to spend your life. Number, page 13, rule number 6. Oh, by the way, bottom of page 12. Prioritize your life or someone else will. Right? Make your priority the will of God. Number 6, imitate God's faithful servants. Study the biographies of those who have given their lives in the service of the Lord. John Flavel says, The first sufferers had the hardest task, for they lack the helps that they have left for us. You know, all those people that went through those things in the Old Testament and the, New, and, and the Bible, they hadn't seen somebody else go through those things. We can look back at what happened to Paul and Silas in jail and go, Oh, that's what happens. They were like, I don't know what's going to happen, except we're just going to trust God. But we can learn from the way they handled the difficulties, the way Paul handled all the difficulties he went through, the way Ruth handled the difficulties she went through, the way all these people in the past, but they'd never been through that before. We can look at other lives and see what they've done. James chapter 5, verse 10. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You've heard of the endurance of Job. And have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Job never understood completely what was going on. But we have the record of what was going on behind the scenes with Satan talking to, uh, to God and God allowing things to happen to him. And, and eventually we learned because of the examples that he went through. But he didn't, have that, so he didn't have an example of anybody else. I think Job's the oldest book in the Bible, right? So he was one of the early ones. And everybody's learned from Job. We have the ultimate example of Jesus Christ himself. Uh, Verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 12. Consider him who had endured such hostility by sinners against himself. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So we'll quickly move on to the next one. Number 7. Confirm your interest in Christ. I talked about this. Prayerfully and publicly commit your life to God. If you have not done so, you need to do so. Joshua did that. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You need to make that commitment yourself. You need to make that kind of commitment. Rule number eight, keep your conscience pure. Recognize, accept responsibility, confess all sin as soon as you discover it. Look at those three uh, little points next to that lady in the middle of page 15. Believers who live with a clear conscience have great confidence and courage to face life because one, they know they're justified and acquitted from guilt. Two, they know they live with God's favor and acceptance. And three, they know they have the blessed hope of God's glorious love and presence. So, we got to move quickly. Number nine. Record experiences of God's faithfulness. We talked about that already. We'll move on from there. Number 10, consider Christ's providential kingdom. Flavel says this, Poor, fearful souls, 
Is there not a king, a supreme lord who rules over all? You remember the conversation that Jesus had with Pilate? Pilate said, don't you know I have the authority to have you killed? And Jesus said, you wouldn't have any authority except that God gave it to you. Right? Listen, if you fear God, you don't have to fear anybody else. You don't. You just do what God wants you to do. He's going to take care of all those other people. He's going to take care of all those other circumstances. And he is not going to lose. He's just not. He's just not. John Flavel says, fear says, they are great waters and they will drown us. That's what the children of Israel thought when they looked at the Red Sea. Until they walked across on dry ground. And looked back and watched as the sea collapsed and drowned Pharaoh's army. Experience says, those waters are shallower than we think. We can safely cross. Others have. God can get you through whatever he wants you to get through. Number 10, consider Christ's providential kingdom. We talked about, did we talk about that already? We did. Where am I doing? I'm looking here. Poor, okay, I skipped over. Okay, page 18. The reign of government is in Christ's hands. The care of saints is in Christ's hands. Every day of your life up to this moment has been guided by God's loving hand. And he's not done. Verse four, or Number 4, page 19. The same God who brought you this far along in life promises to take care of his own no matter the circumstances. Look at the middle of page 19 right above rule 11 there. Oh, if we thoroughly believe these things, fear could have no more afflict, could no more afflict our hearts than clouds could trouble the heavens. But we forget his providences and promises and are justly left in the hands of our own fears to be afflicted. Rule number 11, subject your carnal reasoning to faith. Stop overthinking things. Just trust God. Human reasoning sets us on all sorts of bad courses. You can look at those. There's five of them given between 20, page 20 and, or 20, or 19 and page 21. Rule number 12, quickly. Exalt the fear of God in your heart. I'm going to hit the points. I want you to study this out. Okay? That's why I printed up all these pages. Number one, the fear of God recognizes and rests in the truth that God always keeps his covenant promises. You can rest in that. The fear of God captures our hearts and keeps our ways pure. The fear of God drives us to remember God is our only sure place of refuge. The fear of God, page 22, drives us to humble ourselves before him, mortifying the desires of the flesh. Number six, the fear of God drives us to live holy lives of self-discipline, displaying God's grace in our lives. Number seven, the fear of God makes it possible to walk and grow in the comfort of the Holy Spirit's presence. Number eight, the fear of God promotes a life of integrity and uprightness. Number nine, the fear of God encourages us to remember God's past deliverances. The fear of God, page 23, protects those who trust in him. Number 11, the fear of God is a superior way to live compared to living according to human reasoning. And number 12, the fear of God leads us to a life of divine blessing and confidence in his ability to vindicate you. Read that verse, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? 
But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks to give you an account, asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence and keep a good conscience so that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Again, the conclusion, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. So we hit it fast. We hit it hard. But we got through it all. You got to read it now. Okay? But do learn to trust and fear God. Stop worrying about all these other things that have us distracted and discouraged and failing to accomplish his will. Everyone is going to live in fear. The question is, what will be the dominant fear of your life? That's the question. You will live, those who live in fear of man, do not fear God. Those who live in fear of God, do not fear men. Those who fear the providence of God do not fear the circumstances of life. You're going to fear something, all right? Something is going to control your thinking and your emotions in life. And that is why the Word of God, as we faithfully read it and jest it, especially the Psalms, just wonderfully, wonderfully, wonderfully helps us in our thought life, our emotional life. There needs to be something bigger. It's perspective. It's perspective. The more you know of God, the bigger he becomes. Would would that be true? Would that be true? The less you know of God, the bigger everything else is around you. Is that true? All right? So what you fear, what you fear is determined by your knowledge of God, your personal knowledge of God. And there isn't anybody that doesn't live in fear of a car running into him when the Horn, horn the, the, the brakes squeal and the and the uh, horn honks and you're going across the street and your your heart starts racing. They're, they're fearful experiences in life. They just are. But the overriding knowledge of the greatness of God gives you a perspective that makes the fear of created things very small when you think of the greatness of the Creator. So, fear is a very important factor in your life. The question is, what do you fear and why? And the wonderful thing is, I think I think I know a little about this, the more you grow in grace, the greater God becomes in your life. Huh? And the more you can rest through the difficulties of life and, and the more joy you can have in the midst of the struggles of life and, and the battle.